Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. But I have to lead off with a little bit of a story to just kind of talk about my introduction to this place and why I fell in love with it. So a couple months ago, uh, my wife and I, I bought her tickets to go to a show at the Orpheum. And I think this is a common story. A lot of people before the Orpheum like to grab a drink or grab a meal downtown. And so we, we went to Mercury and this was my first time at Mercury. And as we sat down and we ordered our cocktails, Sarah said, hey, so the show's at 6.30, right? And this was about at 5.30. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's at 6.30. She's like, would you, would you mind double-checking? And so I did. I looked at the tickets, and it was 7.30. <laughs> so we had an extra hour to play with. Best mistake that I think I've ever made in my life because that gave us an extra hour to enjoy Mercury, and we got some more cocktails, and it really allowed us to have that full experience instead of kind of getting in, having maybe one and getting out. We really got to stay and enjoy it and really just enjoy the ambiance, try a bunch of the different cocktails. We had some pasta, and I was like, this place is awesome. We need to come back here again. So now that my long rambling introduction is over, allow me to introduce my guest today, Mercury's owner, Clark Ross. Clark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So I like to, I've kind of given my two cents on why Mercury is awesome, but I like to kind of open episodes with, uh, by just letting my guests kind of describe their establishment for themselves. So in your mind, what makes Mercury a different cocktail bar than any other you'll find in Omaha. Well, when we were starting Mercury, you kind of we went in with a plan, and the plan was to make the bar we would want to go to. And so, um, when I say we, I mean um, myself, my better half Sarah, who's a sommelier, um, and my partner at the time, who uh, is no longer with us. That sounds like he's dead. I bought him. <laughs> um, he's just he, that's he, good to note. Good moved. to note. He moved. Um, but. Uh, we wanted to start the bar that we wanted to go to. And so that includes good wine, good cocktails, good food, um, fun atmosphere, and warm service. So that was kind of where we started. Um, when we looked at starting the place aesthetic-wise, we were always leaning towards mid-century modern. That's what I lean towards. Um, I really have a, uh, I have a interest in space and astronomy and astrophysics and stuff like that. So it definitely has a kind of like a space sort of like under like – subtle theme to it which is nice you'll see that in some of the artwork and some of the other design elements but then basically from there we just wanted to have really good cocktails without um sometimes the like pretension that comes along with the fancy cocktail game and so i think we've done a pretty good job of achieving that of having a nice warm friendly staff really tasty you know food and bev and just a fun place to hang out 
I would agree with that 100%. And Excellent. I want to get into those cocktails because you mentioned, you know, you didn't want them to be like stuffy or anything. And mm-hmm. they're not. They're so fun. And you guys, you just underwent a, a menu change. Your menu changes several times per year. And this menu is inspired by like children's stories. Yeah, exactly. So we partnered up. We do everything that we can to kind of like reach out and be a part of the community as much as possible. Being downtown. And especially after going through the last couple of years, we want to like try and do the most we can to foster more community. So we reached out to the Rose Theater um, and partnered up with them. And so basically we have a whole menu that is based on their 2022 and 23 season. So they have all these different children's shows or children's theater, if you don't know. And um, we took... We took the shows and we built cocktails inspired by those. So whether it's by the story, by the aesthetic, um, by just, you know, what the words mean to us. We, you know, you kind of have to get inventive when you're translating one thing into a cocktail. But all in all, uh, we think it came out really well. So then the menu kind of takes a physical form as a playbill. Um, we had our, you know, in-house graphic designer kind of put it all together. Um, and then we have six bartenders and... 12 cocktails on there so every bartender has two cocktails on the menu and that's always how we kind of do those like rotating menus is we have a meeting where we sit down we're like okay here are all like generally the things that we need and here are generally the things that we want to get to and then you know we draw straws and everybody takes turns picking what they have and then we reconvene in a couple weeks and make a menu from there I love it. So just to give like a couple examples like you guys currently have a cocktail that I want to talk more about called Beauty and the Beast mm. that has rose petal in it you have uh, a drink called Carmella Full of Wishes that has dandelion and basil and fennel, like bright notes. So it's, I mean, you do kind of, I think it's so interesting that you start with something and then build the cocktail around it mm-hmm. versus starting with, okay, I've got this idea for a cocktail. Now how can we name it and kind of shape it? Is, is that how it works? Well, it, it kind of depends. There's a couple different tracks you can take. Um when we're building cocktails, you either kind of start with a concept. So like Carmela Full of Wishes is a children's show that kind of focuses around a girl blowing a dandelion and the wishes that ensue. And so there it's like, all right, we have dandelion as a flavor set and we want to fit that in versus something like Beauty and the Beast, which is a really great example. Um, the most iconic imagery from that, I think that we all know, is the rose in the glass. So Emily's like, all right. I want to get Rose in there, but how do we work that in? So those are two cocktails where we start with like something that we want to include in the drink and then kind of go from there. But other times it's like, well, I want the drink to be this sort of uh, evoke this sort of emotion. And so then that's where a different drink will take a different like kind of development route as it were. But I always tell the bartenders like pick a point on the horizon and work towards it. You know, that's, that's the only way you can really effectively build a cocktail like that. How many times each year does the menu change? Somewhere between two and four, uh, depending on if depends. there's if there's a pandemic going on or not. <laughs> um, so uh, we're, we're on track to have three menus this year and four menus next year. Okay. Yep. So uh, you kind of mentioned the presentation, how right now the menu is presented on a playbill. Mm-hmm. When I came in a couple months ago, the, the theme was like CDs yep. and, and like jock jams, old songs. So it was in one of those like zipped up like trapper keeper like cd cases and each cd had the menu item and like the ingredients in there i was just blown away by that and going back through your instagram there are just more examples there are menus that are on cereal boxes and just all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. how did you come up with that idea for the menu presentation and like what's to you what's the value of going to such great lengths and inspiring like that joy in the menu that's a great question um the, the concept of coming up with different physical formats for the menus, 
Um, it's just, I mean, honestly, it's just it's a ton of fun. It's something you only see at a handful of bars around the country. And I, I think it really does a good job of engaging people. Um, what we do more than just food and beverages, we create an experience. Like you had just described, you had a night out planned with, with your, your better half. And so you were going to go to the Orpheum. You want to stop and have drinks and a, you know, and a bite beforehand. That's a whole night all together. And you were just talking to me before the show about how like you're going to do a podcast. You're going to go do this. It's all about kind of your day should be kind of a, an experience, as it were. And so that's what we want to do. Um, some of my fondest memories of food and drink have very little to do with the, the literal ingredients that I consume, but far more about like the time that I had. And in a communal place like a cocktail bar, you want good conversation fodder. You want comfortable atmosphere. You want something fun. And like there's nothing better than something tactile that evokes um, nostalgic memories. So like the cereal box is a great thing right there. Especially if you're like on a first date or like it's two groups of friends, like worlds colliding sort of thing. It really offers a really like nice baseline that's not, you know, trivia or something else like that. Like it's just a fun conversation starter and that works really well for us. And also it's a lot of fun for us because we have, you know, an entire staff full of supremely creative people, whether they're, you know, talented in music or visual arts or, you know, movement art, things like that. We have a lot of really talented people who all want creative outlet, you know, and so it's a good place for all that. How do you create that? How, how did you go about creating that team? Because it's very special to find a group of people who can do the things that you're talking about, who can be creative to come up with these different menu concepts, who can be inventive and knowledgeable enough about cocktails and flavor pairings to be able to say, okay, I'm starting with a rose petal and I'm going to build a drink around like that. I assume that's a very difficult thing. Like how did you go about building this team that can pull all this kind of magical stuff off? Um, what, uh, of our current team, only one person has not come from a referral, um, from a different staff member. Everybody on staff kind of recruits for us and we don't do a ton of hiring. I mean, we haven't, we didn't lose anybody over the pandemic, and since then, we've hired two additional people, and that's that's about it. Um, we don't do a ton of hiring. I think the last person that left Mercury was see, I can't remember. That's that long. So there you go. we we bring our people in, and they and they stay. And so it's a combination of seeking out seeking out cool people. Uh, I've always said I can teach a cool person to bartend, but I can't teach a bartender to be cool. <laughs> so we'll start with a cool person, um, somebody who you know. Is, is interested, and you don't have to, I, I don't need everybody to be, like, really, really dedicated to the history of, um, you know, Amaretto or something like that. Like, the technical stuff is very, very good. But um, I just need somebody who has, like, that kind of, like, you know, creative lust. And so we find that, and then we try to foster it. And so a lot of that comes from, you know, training, working alongside them. But it's not just me. Like, I do what I can, you know. But um, we have people that have been there so long and who have really, really honed their own craft. They're really good at kind of, like you know, teaching the other people how to do that. And so the nice part about cocktails is you see a lot of personality come through a drink, which is interesting because you can kind of, I mean, I, I can, you can give me a cocktail off of a menu and I can probably tell you who created it. Really? Mm -hmm. How? It's a, it's, a, it's a style sort of thing, you know? So like everybody kind of has the things that they lean into um, and you just start to recognize them after working with somebody for so many years. So, like, personally, me, all my cocktails tend to be 
aggressive in some form or another. Um, if you had the CD menu, um, a couple of my cocktails on there, so the Black Flag cocktail. So that was whiskey, salt, iron, cigarette bitters, which was like a burnt tea bitters that we made. It was meant to taste like a, like a mosh pit in a glass. So it was like blood, salt, broken glass. Um, and so I, I have like a pretty aggressive sort of edge to my flavor set um, versus somebody like uh, – so uh, uh, John's a really great example. John makes really, really – bizarre combinations that even like veteran bartenders would be like really but then you try it and you're like oh shit that's really good but yeah John, john's got some really really interesting combos so um it's 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 really it's a personality thing that that is just fascinating to me and i suppose yeah. that probably plays out in some restaurants too with creating dishes but i've never oh, yeah. thought about it from that angle so i gotta i gotta ask you mm-hmm. about a specific cocktail that was on that last menu mm-hmm. because i've never seen anything like it that and it was one of my favorites that mm-hmm. i've ever had and it was the bat out of hell now i'm someone who <laughs> i absolutely love spicy food i'm yeah. all about peppers i love hot sauce so this drink was bourbon which is my favorite uh alcohol bitters chocolate and carolina reaper peppers yes which are one of the hottest in the world mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you came up with that drink or if somebody else came up with that drink but as that drink is being conceptualized is it like is there a line where is it like, hey, have we gone too far or should we just throw it on there and see if there are some crazy people who like this or yeah, well, what was that like? You hit the nail on the head. So that one, um, we started, I want to say three or four menus ago. Um, we, we, we've always had some people like kind of offhandedly request a spicy drink. Like, Oh, do you have like a jalapeno margarita or something like that? And sometimes we have some jalapenos around. Sometimes we don't, but like three or four menus ago, I don't remember what it was. But, uh, you know, who, uh, I think it was at the time whoever got assigned the Mezcal drink. I was like, hey, I want a spicy cocktail, like like an actually spicy cocktail. Like, I don't want like, you know, Hinto pepper or anything like make it a, make it a spicy cocktail. Make it aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, we, we didn't really know it was our first one. So we did like a Thai chili infused Mezcal and it was spicy. I would say it was like a six, seven. Eh, yeah. Seven. And um we we learned during that menu that you got a verbal that the drink's spicy. Like when somebody orders you, like that's spicy. Okay, all right. People want bananas for it. It was way bigger of a seller than we ever imagined. So it's like okay, people like spicy drinks. I love spicy food. I love really like irresponsibly spicy food. So on that menu, that was Emily's drink, and she's like, I want to go spicy with it because it's a bad out of hell. I was like, okay, I want you to make it irresponsibly spicy. And she's like, okay, I can do that. Um, so she went sniffing around. She's like. Carolina Reaper, it's the hottest, like, readily available pepper on the market. I was like, let's go for it. So she made it, and I tried it, and I was like, that is irresponsibly spicy. <laughs> that is very, very spicy. So it had a warning on it. It had, like, the parental advisory sticker on it. It also parenthetically said extremely spicy, and everybody, every time, every single one got ordered, I'm sure you experienced it, you go, that's really spicy. Yep. And you're like, I can handle it. And you're like, it's a 10 out of 10. And you're like, I can handle it. And you're like, okay. And... And half the time people are like, I can't do it. And then other half are like, this is insane. This is delightful. I love it. Like spice heads love that drink. So I think that minus 10% is where we want to draw the line as far as how spicy things should be. Cause it was really spicy. Like I, I had a hard time getting through one. It was, it was insane, but in all the right ways. And yeah. like, as soon as I finished it, my mouth was on fire. So I yeah. didn't want another one, but I also did because I enjoyed it so much. And I think what was interesting about that, what I learned with that drink is like, even when, like, so if you have like 
a, a really hot wing, if you have like a, you know, 9-11 flavored wing or whatever, it kind of ruins your day. Mm-hmm. When it's alcohol soluble, it clears up in about five or 10 minutes. Right. So you can have something that is, you know, medically unadvisable, but after about five or 10 minutes, you're, you're fine again. Uh-huh. So that's nice. So the stakes are lower, I think. Now I want to transition from fire to ice sure. because I know ice is something that is extremely important to Mercury. You guys mm-hmm. put a ton of effort into ice, which is something that I think most people, you know, have a cocktail, go to a bar, mm-hmm. would not think twice about the shape of the ice, how much ice is used, anything like that. Sure. But I've talked with other bar owners or, or mixologists and ice is a really, really important part of creating a cocktail. So I'm just kind of going to lay it out. Tell, tell me about ice and how that affects cocktail creation process. Well, ice is the only thing that you use in every single cocktail, right? So it's like, true. it is the ingredient that probably needs the most care. And it's also the ingredient that has the most effect on the drink at the end of the day. Um, we kind of, um, when we're building a cocktail, you're always looking for balance. That's the keyword. Whether that's a balance between... Um, sweet and sour or boozy and boozy and like, you know, sweet or whatever your balance is. Uh, ice is basically how you achieve the balance because you can put everything together in perfect proportions, but if you over dilute it and now it's watery and thin, if you under dilute it, now it's not, it's like the opposite of that. It's thick and like, you know, overwhelming. So the best way to control dilution is with the shape of your ice. Like you said, and I'm not, I'm not going to try not to get too technical about it, but get, it, get technical. Okay. Let's get well, nerdy here. Well, um, so Mercury has hands down the most comprehensive ice program in the, in the city. Um, we have, uh, we have a KD machine, which makes the one inch cubes. That's very good for Collins style drinks. Good for shaking, good for stirring. Um, we don't do a lot of serving on that ice. Um, one inch cubes have a higher surface to volume ratio than, um, like the larger cubes, which is what we use for all of our drinks on the rocks, Manhattan's old fashioned, things like that. Um, the ice that we use for that comes from a machine called a Kleinbell. So we have a large format Kleinbell, which produces 350 pound blocks of ice. They're about 15 by 20 by 40 inches. Uh, they weigh about 350 pounds a piece. Um, they freeze from with unidire- they, they freeze uh, using unidirectional freezing. So just the bottom gets cold. And so you just put water in there. And the bottom starts to freeze first, and pure water is going to freeze before impure water. Because when you start having dissolved gases and minerals, um, your freezing temperature goes, goes down a little bit. So your pure, pure water freezes first. So what happens, since it's just freezing from the bottom, it'll just create pure ice, pure ice, pure ice as it kind of climbs up. And then when there's about two inches left on the top... That's the liquid that still has all the dissolved gases and minerals and things like that in there. Take a shot back, pull that off. And so it kind of freeze distills. So you're left with completely pure ice, which um, gets colder than impure ice. It gets, uh, it's harder, it's clear, and it has no impurities in it. So it's not going to affect your flavor or anything. So it is the best ice you can use for cocktails. Downside is it comes in a 350-pound block. So not a lot of people have the you know, capability to process that. It's a, it's a sculptor, um, ice sculpture ice. That's it's right, essentially right. the same machine. Um, so we have one. We're the only one in between Denver and Minneapolis that's functioning. Um, so you'll see, you'll see some large format ice around town these days. Um, there are smaller machines now, ones that don't make 315-pound blocks. They make like 25-pound blocks, a little bit more achievable. Um, but then like all around town, if you're at like a fundraiser or benefit, and you'll see an ice bar, all those are brought in from Minneapolis. 
because there's a company up there that has a bunch of them. But yeah. So anyway, I digress. Um, we take that out and then we use a chainsaw just to cut it into manageable pieces. So we take the 350 pound block out, put it on the drain table, hit it with a chainsaw. We break it up into about 16 pieces and we just store that in the upright freezer in the back. And then every day we pull anywhere from two to six of those out, depending on how busy we are. And then we have stainless steel, butcher's saws, chisels, mallets. And then we break that down by hand into um, ice cubes of the rocks glasses. So that's what we serve all of our drinks on the rocks in. And then on top of that, we also have an ice crusher. It's very, very old. Um, it looks like it's from like a fallout video game series. It is like, you know, olive green and rusty and sounds like a trash can, but <laughs> you turn it on and you can tell there's a motor in there that's capable of powering like a, like a Studebaker. And so then you throw all the ice in there, crushes it up. And so that's how we get our, um, our crushed ice for tea drinks, but we also use it for chilling our glasses. Cause that's insanely important when you're serving a drink without ice is to chill your glass. Um, reason being glass has a pretty a pretty decent density to it. And so it actually carries a lot of energy. And so if you put a drink that is, let's say, you know, 20 degrees in there, but your glass is 75, 80 degrees, well, your drink just went up 15 degrees just because of it's going to, it's going to suck that heat out of there. So, uh, we chill all of our glassware to make sure that we like hit our temperature. We, uh, stir on the one inch cubes versus the smaller chip, chip ice, because when you're stirring or shaking, you want dilution, but not too much. And like that, uh, like flake ice or chip ice or hotel ice, whatever you want to call it, that stuff tends to over dilute really, really quickly. So that's why we have the one inch keeper. But yeah, that is that's that's the gist of the ice program. Holy cow, man! People yeah. told me that you were obsessed about ice, but I had no idea to this level. And and I just love this. I think that this is, I love moments like this where we can pull back the curtain mm-hmm. for diners or for people who are going to a bar, and give no thought to the ice. And you can tell. Probably dozens, if not hundreds, of hours of research and work and planning has gone into creating this ice program, not to mention the time and energy you spend every day to create the ice and cut the ice and everything. And that's just one part of the cocktail, you know, process. Like it it, it just fascinates me how much thought and time and energy goes into every little aspect of the hospitality industry. I, I love this stuff so much. It is. And there's definitely a level. There's kind of like, you know, there's, there's, there's different levels that you can kind of achieve. Sure. And so you, you go somewhere where you, you know, you, there's places that just serve beers and shots and like they have ice and you can get a whiskey Coke and that's that, that's it. But then like it, once you get into craft cocktails is what people like to call it. Once you get into the craft cocktail world, you really do have to start paying attention to this stuff because you, um, the product can really fall apart if you overlook one aspect. You know, if you go through all this trouble to put private barrel 100 proof bourbon in there and like vermouth from like the best part of Italy and da da da, but you put it on shitty ice, it's gonna, mm-hmm. it's not a good drink, you know? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I digress. Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about certified Piedmontese. Did you know that just 1% of all cattle raised in the U.S. is Piedmontese? Or that this red meat is so healthy that it's similar in micronutrients to Atlantic salmon and chicken breast? Rare, healthy, and most importantly, delicious. That's a trio that just can't be beat. I'm so confident that you'll get hooked on certified Piedmontese beef like I did that I want to help you try it. When you visit Piedmontese.com and use my promo code HOPPEN, that's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, 
you'll receive 25% off your order. That's 25% off steaks, burgers, brats, sausages, and even bacon. Yeah, I said it. Beef bacon. It'll change your life. Use my promo code to score a great deal and experience why certified Piedmontese is such a big deal today. And now, back to my guest. All right, now, th- this is like a perfect segue because we're talking about all you know the, the technical aspects of, of the drink and how much effort and energy is put into it. You do the same thing with your food. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like you, you go to most bars, and there, there are definitely exceptions, but you go to most bars and the food is just kind of it's there on the menu just as something to share while you drink or maybe, you know, some greasy appetizers or whatever to soak up the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Usually not a lot of thought and energy is put into creating a great menu. That is not the case at Mercury. And I was shocked when I, before we came in, I looked at the menu for the first time and it said you guys were doing handmade pasta, mm-hmm. which is super difficult to do. There are not a lot of restaurants in town that are even doing that. And I was like, okay, I got to try this. So Sarah and I, we tried the spicy pegu, uh, spicy pork ragu, excuse me, and the carrot ravioli. Mm-hmm. And they were, we agreed, both better than, the pasta itself was better than you'll find at most Italian joints in Omaha. was super impressed. And just to mention... You, you guys don't just have pasta, you have burgers, sandwiches, some shareable apps as well. That menu changes a little bit too. But just as you were kind of coming up with Mercury, why was it important for you to put such an effort and emphasis on food as well as great drinks? Um, I <clears throat> Some background about me. I, I've never actually worked at a bar that doesn't have food, um, which, is, which is interesting. And then I, I come from a predominantly either like um, foodie restaurant or fine dining kind of background. Um, a lot of the places I worked at were, um, food based first, um, kind of coming up. And so foods, I mean, and food's wildly important. I don't need to tell you that, but I think, um, I I think just coming with the sensibility of food should be good. Uh, you know, I don't, I've, I've never really worked at a place that has like, you know, the Cisco truck back up and just drop things into the deep fryer, which then convey out to, I mean, I've never, and, there, and there's definitely a time and place for those places. I go there a lot, but I've never worked at a place like that. And I didn't, I just didn't want to make something like that. So when we started Mercury, we, you know, it, it's a small kitchen. I don't know if you got to see it. It's, it's a very small kitchen. Cause when it started, we're like, well, we'll be a cocktail bar and then we'll have, you know, a chef back there making like, you know, small, you know, affordable, you know, curated, you know, little bites and stuff like that. But we didn't think that there was going to be much of a demand for food. And so the the food started out very, very small. And then it started, got a little bigger, got a little bigger, got a little bigger. Then I got too big, then we dialed it back and we are <laughs> where, where we are now. Um, uh, but it's been a, it's been a good thing. I mean, I don't know. I, we, we, we sell a lot of good product. Why would we sell crappy food i mean that's just <laughs> that's just kind of my mentality about it you know um again no hate to those places i eat a lot of mozzarella sticks mm-hmm. i eat a lot of chicken wings but um but yeah it's just you know we it, it feels like there'd be a really strong disparity if you ordered a cocktail at mercury and you got the cocktail that you got and then you got you know onion petals with ranch that's just like not that's a that's that's not a good fit right i found a instagram post from 2019 that i think sums this con- conversation up best. It said, our pasta only takes minutes to order, 
but it takes hours to prepare. And if you ask our chefs, they would say it takes a lifetime to perfect. We think they're close, though. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I just I love everything about that post, and I think it goes right into what you just said. Do you guys have a chef on staff? We do. Uh, Nick Dolezal is our head chef, and then um, Matt McMillan is our chef de partie. Um, Nick kind of comes from kind of a meandering background, but I knew Matt uh, back when I worked at the boiler room. He was working in the boiler room at the same time. And so, you know, he was around, I was around. I was like, hey, yeah, you want? And so, yeah, he, com- he comes over. So um, between the two of them, they do a really good job kind of spearheading that. And so, I mean, they do make the pasta by hand, and they, uh, they do it when we're not there because we have that big, you know, 30-foot marble bar. Well, it's granite, actually, but they take that whole thing and they lay all the pasta sheets out on that bar up and down and they'd cut it on there. And so it's a good, it's a good surface for them. And then we come in and sweep up the flour here and there, but uh, no, they, they put a lot of work into it and it shows it's yeah. really good. And they bake all the bread in house. So the buns for the burgers and the Cubans, they bake those, the uh, focaccia that we serve with the beer cheese, they bake that, uh, they bake the sourdough that for all the vegetarian sandwiches and things like that. So yeah, all, currently all of our bread, except for the vegan bun is made in house. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. When you mentioned your your previous stops had been places that emphasize food, we're in Omaha at least, we're talking about the Boiler Room and Night Owl, which are two of my mm-hmm. absolute favorite restaurants in the city to get yeah. food at. So yeah, that's a pretty good start. Yeah. Uh, I want to transition. We got to talk about Christmas. Oh, sure. Because yeah. I mean, the menu <laughs> changes, the cocktail menu changes a couple times each year, but Christmas, you guys go all out. It is just a blow out the entire place becomes like a winter wonderland mm-hmm. you've got santas everywhere you have uh christmas inspired cocktails you've got christmas trees you've got tinsel ha- like it's th- looking at pictures like i haven't experienced this myself yet that mm-hmm. will happen this year mm-hmm. but like looking at pictures on instagram it's a completely different space like it doesn't even almost look like the same bar oh. what what is it about christmas that like inspired you and made you say you know what christmas is a time we're just going to go all out we're going to do this it's a scene man um it is uh so i don't know if you've heard of miracle miracle is a um a franchised christmas pop-up thing that started at a mace mm-hmm. in uh, new york city and um our first year that we were open, we were contacted by them to see if we wanted to participate. And at the time, you know, we were less than a year old, and and I, my, you know, I was you know, going gray early, so I was like, no, I, I can't, I can't take on anything else right now. But then the second year, they approached us and they're like, hey, do you want to do that? And I'm like, all right, let's give it a whirl. So we did, we did Miracle, and then part of Miracle is, you know, they give you the mood board or whatever it is, and you go and you kind of look at it, and we're like, all right, this is good, but I think we can do better than this. So. Because if we're going to decorate, we might as well decorate, right? Because the difference between decorating a little bit and a lot of bit, I mean, you're already getting the ladder out. You might as well, you know. Yeah, so we, uh, we've we been collecting Christmas crap over the years, and um, it just gets bigger and bigger every year. Um, last year was a good gift from me. Um, I don't know how deep into the story I want to get, but um, do you know the Hollywood Candy Store downtown? Yeah. So that building is massive, and it has two floors above it. One of those floors was full of things that uh, the owner has been collecting for a million years. He is a uh, super uh, interesting, very fun, very eccentric guy who collects a lot of weird stuff. One of the things that he had collected over the years was a bunch of vintage Christmas stuff. So I went in there and I was he was he was getting rid of some stuff. So I got 
like 30 blue molds. Um, and I got a bunch of like weird candy canes and stuff, but I got a bunch of like stuff. So we had our biggest influx of Christmas stuff last year. So it's even bigger now than it will be. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, people, people love it. And, um, when you think about, you know, why do we do Christmas? It's fun. I mean, come on, it's fun. It's Christmas, you know, it's like everybody. I mean, there's, there's a cult around Christmas and for good reason. I mean, it's a, it's a tidings of good cheer and sort of thing. I think people are generally just happier and better to each other around the holidays, which are all like good, you know, good, good things. I like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we just, we go, we go crazy for Christmas and then people go crazy for Christmas. So when you consider the amount of people in town that care about food and drink, it's, you know, this big, but then people who care about Christmas, it's that big. So we see so many new faces every year and that's good for us. Obviously it's good for business. We make money and bring people in and introduce us, but also it's just really, really cool. It's really cool to see a bunch of people who don't normally go out, um, go to a space like that and really get transported. And so that does even more so than we do the rest of the year. It becomes an experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now this could be maybe an entire year. Maybe it could be a night. Maybe it could just be an interaction with one customer, but there, is there like a particular Christmas themed interaction or Christmas themed memory you have about Mercury that really stands out and is just like, I'll, I'll never forget that. Hmm. Um, a lot of very memorable things happen around <laughs> Christmas time at the bar. Um, and, uh, an almost invariable experience. So, I mean, obviously we play Christmas music during the Christmas menu. Um, and so we have a, we have like a, it's a 12 hour, 14 hour playlist of a bunch of like Christmas B sides, you know, cult classics, hipster hits, things like that. And there's not a lot of, um, traditional Christmas music flair on there. Save for um, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. We That's a classic. You we allow that. that to be played one time per night. Um, <laughs> and we do not take requests on it, even though we get multiple requests a day to play that song. It comes in. It comes on when it comes on. It's on shuffle. It's going to come on, but you know we have no control over it. But invariably, everybody in the house just starts screaming and yelling and singing along, and it's just like... It's, it, it's, an, it's intense. It's really intense. Um, but it's good. I'm really glad that people have that kind of joy. I, I, can, I, I can't honestly say, like, in the heat of a moment on a Saturday night when all hell's breaking loose, a bunch of people screaming Mariah Carey is, like, awesome for my psyche. But uh, they're having a great time, and that's really cool. And, like, ultimately, I really like it. That's great. Yeah. How did you originally get into get interested in cocktails and, and kind of join the, join the industry? Um, so I've been working in restaurants in some way, shape, or form since I was 14. Um, I started out doing kitchen work, and I worked, um, I worked expo, and then I, you know, worked the line, da, 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 kitchen manager. And then um, I was a kitchen manager, and I was 21. Uh, there was a day where, um, so I forget exactly what happened, but, one of the front of house managers came back and they're like, Hey, we need an extra set of hands behind the bar. And I was a kitchen manager. So I'm probably the most trustworthy guy in the kitchen, I guess. So <laughs> they sent me out there. And so I, uh, I, you know, you get the chance you get to talk to people and you get to, versus, you know, working in the kitchen's great. You get to work with your hands. You get to make things that people love and enjoy, but working in the front of house, you get to see people enjoy it. That's actually far more visceral. It's far more fun. And then, um, Oh, it was St. Patrick's Day when it's an Irish place. That's right. And so um, somebody ordered a Guinness. I was like, okay, so figure out how to do this. I pour the beer in the glass. And I'm like, how hard could that be? And I do that, and I hand it to him. I'm like, all right, you know, $5 or whatever. 
five dollars and then give me a dollar. I was like, I just made a dollar for pouring a beer. I can do that again. <laughs> All right. Oh, look at this. Every time you pour a beer, you make a dollar. This is great. <laughs> so I was like, wow, that was a lot more fun. And I don't smell like a foot. And I made a dollar every time I poured a beer. I think I might want to work in the front of house. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I did work front of house. I did, um, you know, I, I, I you know, serve tables and stuff like that and kind of work my way up. And then um, one day at a different place, a uh, bartender didn't show up for brunch shift. Uh, they were hungover and had worked the Saturday night before. So big surprise there. But it was kind of like, oh, we need a bartender. Anybody want to do this? And I did not want to wait tables that brunch. I was like, I will bartend. And so I was behind the bar and ticket comes in. Martini, which who the hell is ordering a martini at 11 o'clock in the morning? But whatever. Anyways, I'm like, all right, martini. Don't know what that is. So there's a bottle uh, on the rail called Martini and Rossi Vermouth. And I'm like, well, that's that's probably in a martini. And then I was like, well, I've heard the, you know, James Bond, you get a, a vodka martini. Shake and not, not stir. I'm like, well, there we go. There's the recipe. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> some vodka, some what turns out to be sweet vermouth and some ice. I shake it and send it out. And it doesn't really look like the picture or anything, but I was like, all right, whatever. It was red and it was weird. But uh, yeah, lady, lady thought it was great. I don't, I don't know why, but um, it was bad. It was a, it was a, by all measures, a terrible martini. But I was like, well, that was pretty fun. And so then throughout, you know, I made a lot of mimosas and Bloody Marys and da da. But it was like working in the kitchen. I got to work with my hands and like the cocktailia part of it is like you need to touch things. Like pouring a beer, you know, you can like beer, you can love beer, you can study beer. Same with wine. By the end of the day, you're not doing anything to it. You're learning about it and you're basically guiding people to the right thing, which is awesome. But with Cocktailia, you get to put your hands on it. It's yours. You're making it. So that's a lot of fun for me. So that's kind of when I got into it. So I started bartending, and um, I was just super, super fortunate to, at the age of 21, start bartending and realize that that is where kind of my 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 skills, my love, my passion intersects with society's needs. And so... Uh, that is, and that's where you find your true vocation, right? Where your skills and society's needs intersect. And so I was really lucky to find that and I loved it. And it, it was like, I was built for it. I'm good at it. I really, really enjoy it. People have a good time. I like being around people. I like talking to people. I like conversing with people. I like making things. I like making people happy. Um, also I like working late and I like making money. So, I mean, like just all like the stars lined up and I was 21, 22 and I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And so I never look back. And so I've been a bartender since, and, uh, I just, yeah, I just really love my job. And so about the time I was 26, 26, 27, I moved to Omaha from Baltimore. Um, Sarah, my, my better half, her family's located here. And so we were, we, we were together in Baltimore and we relocated here and that's when I started working in the boiler room. And I had been running cocktail programs in Baltimore for a little while. And then I found my way within a few months of running the cocktail program in the boiler room. And really liked that. Made headways in the community. Met a lot of bartenders around town. Um, kind of started the first bartenders guild in Omaha. And just kind of been going since then. Found an investor. Started my own place. And then, yeah. I want to get into a little bit more of that. But I ha- like I'm so interested in 
just the learning process of, first of all, cocktailia. I didn't mm-hmm. know that was a word. That's an awesome word. I don't know that it is a word. but <laughs> it, is, it is now. We're yeah, making yeah. it a word because sure, it's, sure. it sounds fantastic, and I'm going to continue to use it whether it's real or not. Mm-hmm. But like you mentioned, you start off, you don't know how to make a martini. Right. And now you're making these drinks that are super intricate with different ices and all kinds of different alcohols and you know accoutrements that you wouldn't find at most bars. Like... What is that learning process like? How do you teach yourself? Is it... It's messy. Uh, it's, I mean, are you yeah. just like making stuff at home? Is is it all just learning on the job? Is I don't think you went to a school, but are there like cocktail schools you can go to? How did you level your game up? Well, that uh, so how I level my game up and how the game can be leveled these days slightly differs. Um, so back when I was a kid, and I mean like throughout like the late 70s up through the late 90s, there were so-called bartending schools, which were two-week programs that would take your money and give you a you know Mr. Boston drink guide, and you learn how to make a make a sex on the beach, and that, and that was about it. And nobody in the industry actually took them seriously. How almost invariably bartenders came up up until like the mid two thousands was you were a server at a restaurant that had a bar. And then you'd start bar backing and then you'd bartend. Or if it was just a bar bar, you would, your, your bartender friend was like, hey, we need a bar back tonight. So you do that and you do that and you chip away, chip away. And then you're the last man standing. So now you're the bartender. Um, so that's how everybody kind of got into bartending back in the day. Lord knows that's how I got into bartending. I was serving. The bartender was too drunk to show up. Now I'm the bartender. That's uh, Battlefield Promotion was the way. Um in the last five to ten years, there have actually been some interesting like programs that have kind of creeped up, and some of them are expensive and some of them are not. But um, if you want to do in-person training, you can actually do that. There's a handful on the East Coast, a handful on the West Coast, and I would hazard to guess that there's one in Chicago or two. Um, there's some of the best bartenders in the world in Chicago. But um, there's a lot more resources now. Um, when I was learning... You have you, you have the, you know, the Mr. Boston cocktail guide, so you know how to make a sex on the beach. But then you also have um, you have blogs and stuff. I mean, the internet existed when I was fourteen when I was twenty one. So like we did have blogs, and so Jeffrey Morgenthaler was a big voice back in the day. Uh, Jeffrey Morgenthaler was the uh, runner of the cocktail program for Clyde Common in Portland, Oregon, and he was kind of he is kind of universally amongst the cocktail set known as like the first. I don't know, guy to try to democratize cocktails. Because, um, I mean, prior to that, there was Dale DeGroff, and he, you know, he made some really, like, what are now considered contemporary classics, and he was really great, and he had books and stuff like that. But um, Morgan Dollar was the first one to, like, have this, like, blog and be really, like, matter-of-fact about it, you know, not so much the arm garter and, like, you know, in the bow tie and things like that. He's just like, we're making drinks. People want good drinks. Here's how to make good drinks now. And so... I read that religiously, and then I, I had a lot of, you know, it, it was in the beginning of the rise of craft cocktails back then. So I was given a lot of, like, leeway by um, the places that I worked. So one place, um, they, they you know, behind the bar, I had kind of moved up to, like, you know, bar manager, doing the ordering, things like that, and running the cocktail menu. And at the time, the I think the most popular cocktail on that menu was the pomegranate martini which i mean and it's just a fine drink but it's not really emblematic of like the craft cocktail movement as a whole and that's what i was really interested in and so they're like okay go go to town so i remember the first um 
the first cocktail I ever got on a menu. It was a Maryland State Fair. And so the place I was working at was doing a State Fair-themed menu for the um, for the weekend. So like funnel cake, pancakes, and you know, things like that. And I was like, oh, we'll do that. And I'll do the, I'll, I'll do like a, I'll do a State Fair couple cocktails. And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? And so I made a cocktail that was, it was, it was blue. And it had a Swedish fish in it, and it had a ping pong ball on it, because it was like the thing where you, you know, right. throw the, the ping pong ball at the thing, and you win a fish. And so I made this cocktail, and I'm like, oh, it's good. I don't know what it was, vodka, it was blue, who cares? But um, it was my first, like, concept drink, and it was my first cocktail on the menu. And I was like, all right, we can put this on the menu. Who knows what that game is called? Crickets. Ten people sitting around. Well, I don't know, you you throw the ball. Dunk the ball, you win a fish. So dunk the ball, win a fish was the name of the cocktail. <laughs> went on the menu. Um, but yeah, from there, I mean, God, there, there's the books. And like over the years, more and more resources have come out. But I mean, it's, it's a lot of trial by fire. It's a lot of listening to other bartenders talk. And it's a lot of wasted product. But ultimately, you just have to like, you know, you go into it with almost like a chef mindset. Where you're like, here are the things at my disposal. Here are new things that are coming out. Let's try those. Um and then perfect the classics. That's really where everybody starts. And that's where I try to teach people at Mercury is like, you know, we're, we're known for our old fashioned. Our old fashioned is constantly allowed as the best in the city. And that's where I, t- I start people. I'm like, look, you, you need to learn how to make this drink. The drink is really great for a number of reasons. Um, primary reason is it's 100% technique. Uh, the ingredients are few. It's bitter, sugar, bourbon. Not a lot of room for interpretation there. It's all about technique. So you learn how to make a good old-fashioned. You now know how to stir a drink. Congratulations. And then you kind of go from there. You teach them how to make a Tom Collins, and, like, you know, and that's got a, a whole different skill set. But you can make those two drinks. You can make – you have the skills now to make a lot of drinks. So Your old-fashioned is fantastic, by the way. You. Thank you. Um, I want to get into kind of, you know, you mentioned opening Mercury. Mm-hmm. You, you got a chance to work at the boiler room, worked at Night Owl, and then – you got an investor. You're opening your own place. That opened in June of 2016. Uh, May, but yeah, yeah. May, May of 2016. Yeah. I, I apologize. How dare you? At, <laughs> uh, I resigned from this position. <laughs> uh, as you were creating Mercury, how did you kind of establish that personality? And in a downtown area that has all these different types of bars, all these different options, how did you kind of make Mercury stand out and say, hey, we're here You've got to come experience this. Mm, not well in the first year. <laughs> um, we, we uh, so I, I have, you know, over between working at, you know, Night Owl, working at Boiler Room and doing what I can, I, I, had, I had a small following. And so we opened to a modest amount of fanfare in 2016. Um, and so, I mean, you know, I level with you. I'd lived in Omaha for three years prior to Open Mercury. And, um, Never lived downtown, but I love that block, like that 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 intersection, 16th and Harney, where King Fong is. That was, I got off the plane. Sarah picked me up from the airport. And she's like, all right, you want to grab lunch? So we went to King Fong. It was still open at the time. And I was like, wow, this place is cool. Like, it's had the brick sidewalks, trees growing, surrounded by, you know, you got, you got high rises on all sides of you. Felt like, felt like home. And I was like, it's like a, it's like a city. It's great. And like, you have this, like antique Chinese food restaurant. I was like, man, Omaha kind of rules because I moved here sight unseen. And then um, I realized that's the only 
place in town that looks like that. So, <laughs> um, so I was really, really excited when that when that when when that parcel came up, and so I really liked it there. I really wanted it to be there. Um, and I guess what I didn't realize is uh, not a lot of foot traffic in that part of town because, as I've been told ad nauseum over the years, Sixteenth Street used to be a part of town you didn't want to go to. It was like uh, like it is was I mean Omaha scary, and so. You know, things are kind of, when we were getting in there, um, Wilson and Washburn had been open for about a year or so. Culprit had been open for about a year or so. And so things were kind of on the up and up. But still, there wasn't a ton of foot traffic there. And I had just kind of assumed it was downtown. There's high rises all around. Like, why wouldn't there be a ton of foot traffic? Well, everybody drives and parks in the subterranean garage, goes up to their building, gets back in their car and goes home. It's like, okay. So we really had to work, we had to, we had to reach out and talk to the community. And like a lot of that involves, you know, social media outreach, things like that. But a lot of it was also just like kind of pound the pavement, talking to other, like, you know, talking to people around town and like really just doing our best to get word of mouth out there. And so we quickly became um, kind of a favorite of the attorney's offices around there. Cause there's a bunch of attorney's offices cause courthouse is right there. Um, and believe it or not, they're a drinking bunch. And so no. they would, I know, right? And then so they would come in and we'd kind of, you know, shoot the shit with them and like, you know, chew the fat with all the attorneys. And so they would tell their friends and they'd start coming back for dinner. And so like, it was, it was slow that first year. But then word of mouth kind of got out and we built our reputation, I think relatively organically. We haven't had anything really in the way of like a an ad campaign or anything like that, um, aside from. Yeah, I mean, aside from social media, that's the only real advertising we've ever done. Um, so yeah, we just we put our best foot forward, and Lord, I mean, and, and honestly, a lot of people know about us because they go to the Orpheum, so they're season ticket holders, and so if there's a show, we're gonna see, you know, we'll see those people every time. So like, we're gonna see Becky every time one of these Broadway shows comes through, but you know, times a thousand. But you know, people come through for these shows, they're like, oh, we're the closest food and beverage to the Orpheum, so we're naturally like the hot spot um, for that, but we see a lot of people for the first time come through there, and they're like, oh, this is great, because, you know, we work really hard, and we try to make a good good time, so people go, they have a good time, then they'll come back on a non-Orpheum night, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. that's uh, that's what we've done to kind of gain what success we have. But, but we, we've also had a lot of love from, you know, people like you. You know, people are reaching out, they're like, hey, you're small, you're local, you're doing something cool. We want to highlight that. And so we, 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 you know, we, we get that and, and that's, and that's really helpful for us. So oh, thank, thank you for that. You deserve it. Absolutely. Uh, th- there is so much more that I want to ask you about Mercury's background yeah. and how you built it up and everything. We are running a little bit short on time. We still got oh. some time, but I, I cannot have this interview end without asking you about the booze cruiser. <laughs> and and I like I don't like bringing up pandemic related stuff anymore. But this is su- this was such a cool idea and such a unique idea that I have to ask you about it. So for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, in May of 2020, so start of the pandemic, Mercury bought a used Nissan. You painted it all black, and I I you mentioned earlier that you love like the space theme and everything. It, you had like planets on it, it like mm-hmm. it, it looked really cool. And then people could order bottled cocktails or snacks. I think it was mostly empanadas online. Mm-hmm. And then you would drive around town and deliver these things to people, you know, obviously from a socially distanced distance or whatever. Sure. But, like, 
That was such a cool idea. I mean, who came up with that idea, and how much fun was that for you guys to execute it? <laughs> Maybe fun's not the right word. I don't know, but uh, it seems like it would be fun. But, uh, you know, it was probably fun for a little bit. It was, it was confusing more than anything because, I mean, man, those days, we didn't know what, you didn't know what was coming. Right. And so you know, when, when the first announcement came out, it's like, okay, you know, no gatherings over 10 people for two weeks. And I was like, two weeks? Are you kidding me? Like, uh-huh. you know, little did I know. But, um... Yeah, we, we were closed, closed for a little while, and then, like, you know, I had all this staff, and we were doing what we could, but it's like, we have a ton of manpower at our disposal. We gotta do, gotta do something. Like, we need to take out, but, I mean, how do you take out cocktails? Because at the time, this was before that was actually cool. And so, we're like, well, let's... Let's do delivery. I mean, I don't know. We we already we 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 bought we bought the truck so that we could go to the restaurant depot and back, right? I mean, like you need something big enough to like you know haul cases of limes and shit. Um, so we had, we had this junky Nissan, and uh, <laughs> like I said, we have a bunch of artistic people on staff. So I gave them all um, peel coat spray paint and like uh, like window markers and stuff. And I was like, go decorate the thing. I'm like, what do you gonna call it? I don't know, booze cruiser cute whatever um <laughs> so i mean it was really like on the street in the middle of the day we had nothing to do because i mean i'll be honest with you we spent most of that time just hanging out in the shop and in between waiting for phone orders for the booze cruiser would sit around and play super nintendo i mean like there was just there's nothing to do there's nothing to do uh-huh. so it's like all right well i mean let, let's do this so we, we made we made some cocktails oh oh, oh right, right, right and um okay so block 16 which is around the corner from us they're like hey um you want to sell some cocktails here? I was like, I mean, yeah, because they're doing great for takeout business. They're yep. built for it. It was, you know, yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay. And so we were like, how do we do this? And it's like, well, we have all these bottles because we you know, buy bottles for shit. And it's like, all right, I guess we make a bottle-sized cocktail. Well, all right, that's like eight cocktails. All right, well, whatever, okay. And so I'm like, well, we have these things now because Box 16 wanted to sell them. I was like, well, we can make more of these. And we have the junky car. So we decorated it and then... We just started driving around town. And in the beginning, it was great, honestly. Like, the first, like, couple weeks, we were fielding orders. We were driving over all over town. People were like, what's your delivery radius? And it's like, I don't know. We're not a delivery <laughs> Like, where are you? It was like a haggle. It's like, where are you? And they're like, 200 Street. It's like, eh, yeah, I don't got much going on. All right, yeah. fine. Yeah, we'll head out there. Uh, it was, honestly, there's no money to be made in this game. I mean, there's just, you're driving around delivering bottles of cocktails. There's like, you can't make money off that. But... It is fun, and it gives God. It gave the staff something to do, which was so yeah. important. Because I mean, the first couple of weeks, I was like, "Hey guys, we got some downtime. I want to replace the fence on the patio. Everybody, come out and help me. You know, tear down and put up a new fence." And so that took two days. And I was like, "All right, we got to do something else now." So yeah, but they had fun with it. And then Matthew Hansen famously wrote about it. And then uh, yeah, we did pretty well. And then things kind of tapered off once people learned how to make cocktails at home. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But still, like you mentioned, it kind of provided a sense of normalcy for the staff because, you know, people weren't allowed to come into a bar and have a drink. So, you know, you do have a lot of free time. That's a lot of Super Nintendo, apparently. Mm -hmm. So just the ability to get out and do something else, I think, I mean, I can only imagine like how just engaging that was for the staff. It was, and it got a lot of... Got a lot of hoots and hollers, and it got a lot of pictures taken on the side of the road, and people were really interested in it because, I mean... Yeah, yeah. Tony Vargas and Megan Hunt, they ordered from it so that we could see like selfies with the booze cruiser. And like, it, it was fun. It was really fun. And I think it was just kind of emblematic at the time 
um, when when everything was going crazy, it's like, well, why not drive around in the Mad Max boost, you know, you know, cocktail mobile? So it worked pretty well. I think that the booze cruiser in a way like perfectly sums up what makes mercury special and that you guys are just willing to try stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get in a van and just drive around mm-hmm. and sell people cocktails. We'll throw Carolina Reapers in a drink mm-hmm. and see if that's a little too crazy. We'll go all out at Christmas and see if people come in and go nuts over one Mariah Carey song per night. Like I, I just, I, I think that mercury just has this personality that I don't think, any other bar or any other restaurant, any other establishment in Omaha can quite match. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. We, you know, we, we try to let our personality come through. Something I learned in the second year was you know, trust your gut. You know, when we were first designing the bar, it was designed by committee. We had a bunch of people, input, or right, let's try to please everybody. And then, like, just one day I'm like, I just, you know, let's just do whatever feels right for me. And then it just kind of, we, we found our own and we feel a lot more comfortable in our own skin now. Well, clearly, you're doing something very, very right. And I would, listeners, whether you want to, I mean, if you just want to go in and have a great cocktail before you go to shore at the Orpheum, this is a great place to go. If you just want somewhere to go hang out and have a great time, this is a great place to go. You can go and not even get a drink. Go get some pasta or a burger. You can have a fantastic meal at Mercury. Whatever you want to do, I highly recommend checking out Mercury. I've only been there once so far. That is going to change very soon because that first experience was so memorable. Clark, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was an absolute blast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Of course. Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.